Okay, we have Mark Collins here with us. He is the co-owner of Yuck Records, uh, based in Corby, but now living in Hamburg in Germany. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you for being here. Yo, how's it going? Nice to be here, actually. It's a privilege. You know, like uh, I'm sitting in a good chair with all the cool guests you've had going so far. Um, you know, let's kiss our own ass, you know. No, it's good. Different backgrounds, uh, different careers, you name it, like I said. It's a really nice like... mix. Uh, that's, that's another thing I meant to say uh, before we start is like the mix and the variety of guests that you have. Mm. Yeah, it's like it's, it's like really one, one week we'll be um, watching comedy and be like, oh, we should get him on. And then the next yeah. week we'll be watching like a documentary about yeah. some guy who was in the war. I get that geezer on, you know what I mean? It's just... I was watching earlier, like I definitely hope that you get to do the Big Brother thing and get some of the Big Brother... Uh, Guess you know how hard they are to get hold of. <laughs> Fucking yeah, well, impossible. They used to they used to money like sun money, you know. They used to like go into a club, getting some drunk ass pictures taken, and they get a ten grand or something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> the agents blowing money out of their asses. And, but yeah, that's it. Yeah. I don't know. These people like once you get past the novelty of what they've been a part of, it's like what's behind that, you know? Yeah. What's behind that person? But so to- on to it yeah so <laughs> what got was this originally your passion to be you know running a record company or was it something you sort of fell into by accident what's the story yeah well it's it's a bit of both like um i actually wanted to be a film director, film director. Uh, right, and cool. i went to university to study film and then while i was at university i started putting on live events um and university went out the window uh, my passion for events was grew and grew and grew. Uh, but even that was 10 years ago. But I only started the record label this year. And originally I wanted to be a record label, but it's really hard because you need to have a lot of knowledge. You need to know some people. You also need to have a little bit of financial backing. And 10 years ago, I was broke. Um, and the, the events was a fun way to get into it, get to meet people, you get to get drunk, yeah, you know, uh, go on tours and stuff like that. And then this year with everything that happened with COVID and everything. So after 10 years putting on events um, and kind of working around music, I think I had like a Christmas period where I just went hard on another podcast called Other Other Record Labels, I think it's called, I can't even remember, but the guy called Scott. And I watched him like consecutively for like two weeks. I read some books and decided that I wanted to kind of take the plunge. I knew it wasn't going to be, instant success or anything but i just wanted to support artists um really so it's kind of like a, a gradual thing of like i've always wanted to get here but i didn't ever feel ready or that i could bring value one of one of the reasons that i didn't start this earlier was that i would hate to sign an artist and not be able to fulfill or give them any value you know and just kind of become a hindrance uh because that's like the worst thing in my head that I could possibly do for an artist is actually hold them back uh so yeah so what what is the process then uh, do you I'm, I'm guessing like the old school method was you basically go to these live gigs mm-hmm. and you, you like someone you approach them you give them your card and say you know we'll, we'll correspond mm-hmm. and work together on something but these days would it be easier if it was like the myspace days just message them like, <laughs> yeah. you know, come to yeah. the raven it's totally wide open now, you know, like, um, like, like the olden days and like if you're a big artist or something like that, one of the things that I don't have is a lot of money. So like, I'm not waving a business card in front of a band's face and saying, hey, we're going to give you an advance 
come record with us and everything like that. Like the artists will go and do the recording themselves. And then in the contract, I actually just, what they sign is for the rights to me to actually distribute their music. And then we get a cut of their music, but they own it, uh, which I actually like. But like in terms of finding artists, um, over the last 10 years, I've met a lot of artists and I'm actually keeping it really close to home right now um, and working with people that I know. One of the artists that we're about to announce next month, is, I actually don't know him. I never met him before. He was recommended by a friend. He actually emailed me and said a friend told him that I was someone he should work with. And I was pretty nervous, to be honest with you, because I'm so used to just working with my mates on this music thing. That like putting someone I don't know, I was like, how the fuck am I going to get on with someone that I don't know? And it's because if I'm pissed off, I can usually just tell a mate, like, fuck off or leave me alone, you know? Depending <laughs> on who, who's pissed too off in the situation. Uh, with this guy, it's like, you have to tread on eggshells, you know, and deal with this relationship in that way. Going all right so far, uh, but yeah, it's been interesting. What was it that you, you were looking at specifically in, a, in an artist? What was it that? <sighs> That's important in, in to you. Artist, it's like, it sounds really boring, but work ethic. Uh, because work I ethic. think there's some really talented people, but like, if they're not willing to work, like, there's not a lot I can do because like, they need to believe in themselves and be able to work for themselves. It's not like I have a magic wand. And I can go over, hey, presto, you're a star, sunshine. You know, it, it's like, they've got to be grinding themselves or have something about themselves that's driven and I can help them give them the tools or the right strategy, you know, to, yeah, elevate their career a little bit. The music mm. is very diverse. Like right now we have three artists. We have Flash Peasants, who are kind of like a hip hop act, uh, which is, isn't really my ballpark of what I've worked on in the last 10 years. Um, then I've got like a garage band, stoner rocky band that we've just signed. And then like a folk rocky indie guy. Um, and I'd love to get a hard rock band or a metal band in there too. So it's all very diverse. It's not like I'm, sticking with one niche um mm. ideally we would keep it that diverse uh that that would be my wish that we don't just become penned into a hole um yeah that's it because you know now that we're in the digital era a lot's changed now because each decade mm -hmm. was sort of defined by a specific genre or subgenre of music but now yeah. there's a saturation of genres where it becomes mm -hmm. sort of timeless now doesn't it yeah i think like it's it's really hard in this day and age. Like I thought it was hard in the MySpace days because there was already so many bands growing and everything like that. But now I read a fact the other day about Spotify and I really can't remember off the top of my head, but there is a ridiculous amount of songs being uploaded to Spotify every day. Like a crazy amount. I'd have to Google it again to tell you, but like to stand out, any old person just upload a song. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. And, and that's why, like, I started a record label in 2021. I was a little bit apprehensive because, like, people can just do it themselves. Like, so if their one goal and if one, my one purpose was to say to them that I can get your music on Spotify, anyone could tell me to fuck off because that's easily achievable if you're going to pay 10, 10 bucks a year for something like DistroKid. Or something, there's services where you can, you know, you, you just upload your track and they do it all for you. So, like, what we have to bring is value, uh, which is, like, marketing, a strategy, a release plan. Maybe we do physical stuff. Maybe we help with live events. So it's closer a little bit what I do right now to, like, a little bit of management side of things as well. Because any artist can put their internet on Spotify, right? And 
then I wouldn't be asking for 50% of the cut if they can do it themselves. But like one thing that I don't agree with is like these artists, they'll put it up there, but what happens once you put that up there? It's like you guys, if you just put a podcast on YouTube and didn't tell anyone about it, who's going to know? You know, and exactly, it, yeah. that's, that's exactly the same thing that's happening with music. If you don't promote the fact that you're doing it, especially if you care and you're putting blood, sweat, and tears into your music, then you go, okay, I've now put it on Spotify, but don't tell anyone. <laughs> you know, you need to have a strategy. I think it's uh, good, yeah, though, to be, to be in that element of the unknown. It's like you've got, you yeah. already have a set of skills that you've been, exp- you know, mm-hmm. based on previous experiences, but you're kind of figuring yeah. things out as you go along, as we've done doing what yeah. we're doing. And yeah. I do, um, I do like what we're doing. I do like word of mouth a lot because mm-hmm. that's how I've discovered a lot of my bands, TV shows, and stuff. I like it's word of mouth and uh, advertising themselves. You know, like yeah. we'd be nowhere if, I, if we didn't plaster the shit out of our stuff on Instagram and stuff. Do you know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's the hardest thing with a label. It's, it's like being based in Hamburg. And Alex being based in London, our biggest crowd is in Corby. Like, that's why we're trying to put an event on this month because I want to really touch base with our crowd, the people that have been coming to our shows and stuff. Because I, I really want to align with those people that know us in the beginning and then reach out more via the internet and stuff. Like, we did one podcast, I'd say it's not as polished as uh, what you guys put out right now. Uh, that's why I kind of admire what you see because it's really tough. Um, to keep the I enjoyed going. it. I enjoyed that podcast. Yeah. It's like I enjoy a lot of podcasts, but that I knew you. I didn't know you personally, but I knew you yeah. well enough to enjoy it. Like, yeah, we're hoping from, to do some more, but I just I really struggle with conversational side of things and like trying to segue into different parts. It was kind of like a question, not question. And it was just like loads of just like moments where it's just yeah, yeah. It's all practice. And yeah. Silence. I tell yeah. you, it is practice because I tell you, there's a few pro- podcasts that we've done that have gone unreleased. I might as well tell you the story <laughs> now, right? So basically, we uh, I won't say any names, right? But there was this other podcast group that we'd sort of got acquainted with. And we kind of liked their stuff because <laughs> oh, they were just, they sort of specialized in this really abstract, uh, nonsensical kind of, it was, you know, I mean, this humor improvised was, comedy. They were, the they were improvised comedies, dudes. Like, and you listen to it yeah. and it was hilarious, right? So we thought, yeah. oh, all right, we'll go on and we'll go on and uh, do a podcast with these guys, right? And uh, they couldn't really. In the end, they couldn't really handle the shit we were saying because we were trying to improvise as well. I was saying stuff like, oh, yeah, because yeah, they, uh, they're Welsh. Yeah. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, did you know that in Argentina, there's like a part of Argentina that has a Welsh-speaking community? And then we're going on about like <laughs> the idea of Hitler escaping to Argentina. I was like, and have you ever read Mein Kampf too? <laughs> it was him trying to <laughs> adjust to the Welsh community in Argentina. <laughs> it did not go well. Like, well, they didn't go down well at all. Yeah, we said a bunch of rubbish. Ten, five, five minutes after the podcast, they messaged him like, "Can you not release that?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got jobs, you know. Well, like, yeah. oh, I, I thought I thought it was just improv, you know. I mean, just try, just. <laughs> but that's it. You, yeah, I mean, you're gonna have success. You're gonna have failure. You're gonna fall yeah. on your ass, and it's yeah. it's all part of the the journey. You know, I mean, because yeah, you, people who've got to have fun, like that's it's ultimately it. Whatever you're doing, like that's the hardest thing that I have to tell myself is like, this isn't my full time job. This is something I've decided to do for fun. Like, don't put so much pressure on yourself. You know, like you don't have to run at 100 miles an hour every time. You know, like uh, if you take a break, you're allowed to, and um, just try and keep it as fun as possible. 
you should always be trying to move forward. Like if you have goals, you should always be trying to work towards them. Like, don't break your own balls so much when it's supposed to be something that you're doing for fun, you know. Or it becomes I see this fun. right now is like a runner job. Mm-hmm. What we're doing now, yeah. in a sense, because we're starting from the ground level, mm-hmm. trying to build our way up, but we're not doing it in such a fucking patronizing way where. I don't know. Some people come straight on to YouTube and like, hey guys, fuck it. Like they're already famous. It's like, <laughs> yeah, what yeah, the yeah. fuck are you doing? Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I think that's a really good way. Like I, I read quite a lot of books about like building audiences and communities and stuff like that. And it's like, I'm a firm believer in the, the slow and steady uh, yeah. kind of building people. Like if you, every time you release a podcast or like say every time I bring out a record or some do some kind of action and there's 10 more people that come on board, but they stick around. You know, because it's all well and good. Say you get a million views on this podcast, which we're probably not going to happen. Say we've got a million views on this one episode, but then the next one, none, none of them stick around. Like, what, what is that really worth? You know, to have mm-hmm. it's like your five minutes of fame puffed and gone, and did you really get anything out of it? Whereas, like, if every time you're gradually bringing people along and you're building a community, that's way more worthwhile. You know. Um, we, we spoke about this uh, a long time ago on the on previous podcast way back uh, mm. it was a uh, the canadian psychiatrist by or psychologist by the name of eric byrne i think his name was mm. and in the 60s he brought out a book called games people play and he spoke about the stroke system and this was way back in the 60s but it's so much more relevant today with what you're just saying about views and he said that you know um, he talks about so strokes the way it's defined as a stroking of one central nervous system so you walk out your door tomorrow morning you say hello to your neighbor, you've just given them a stroke. They say, mm-hmm. hey, back to you. They've returned that stroke or say you hold the door open for someone and they acknowledge it and say, thank you. You've given a stroke and they've returned it. But if they don't acknowledge it, what's your initial reaction? For the most part, you yeah. go, like, you motherfucker, because the stroke <laughs> yeah. didn't get returned. But then you think about before MySpace, before social media, um, mm-hmm. you know, we probably maybe interact between 12 and 30 people in our whole waking day at any given day, right? You mm-hmm. go to work your family, people at the pub. Now, you know, you could upload a photograph on Facebook and it gets 150 likes. That's a lot of strokes. But then there's people out there that get tens of thousands of likes. Mm-hmm. And suddenly they get 10,000. It's like, oh my God, that's amazing. And then the next one gets 50. Yeah. And it's, it's not enough. The, the strokes becomes an addiction. But, yeah. No yeah. one knows 10,000 people. Yeah. That's, the, that's the thing with all these popular people. Like They get loads of likes and that, but it's all, yeah. no, no one knows them. That we're, that's like with goals as well like i've learned to be more realistic with goals you know like there's the 1000 true fans theory i don't know if you know that uh where like yeah. if you are doing a passion project and you have 1000 true fans that will are willing to give you 100 pounds a year it's 100,000 pounds of 1000 people no that's wrong sorry take your 1, time 1000 1, i need to do the maths here so 1,000 fans, 100 people. Yeah, 100 people. 100,000 pounds a year. That's, yeah. a, that's, a good, that's a good wage, you know? That's and, what you're trying to say. Like, that, that's enough to make um, a living. And like, so like, people were like, oh man, I need too many followers. Oh, I need this, I need that. It's like, what, what the theory is, is, is that you actually only need 1,000. So rather than striving to try and reach that 1 million people, like we've just spoken about bringing 10 people along every time that you do a podcast like you're striving for that 1000 and like with a record label like right now we are striving for 100 people uh you know if we can get 100 people to buy a record every time we release one 
Mm. But we're in a we're in a really good way to actually make numbers where like even though it's a passion project, you know, where it actually becomes sustainable on its own rather than me having to fund my hobby, you know. And so it's like having clear goals like that that are actually more realistic and more attainable actually drive me along. Like it's like if you if, if I'm looking for 10 million people, then it's unattainable and you're just going to get disheartened every single time you do anything. You know? well, that just reminds me of two things I want to say, right? So the first mm-hmm. thing I was going to say was like when it comes to uh, my mum always talks about smart targets. So, so whenever you set yourself a target, yeah. right? It's specific, measurable, achievable. Mm-hmm. Can't even fucking spell smart right now. Uh, <laughs> realistic in time. And, yeah. you know, I'll do that myself. You know, I always try and set these targets to myself. Say like, I, I might write a list and say, right, where do I, where do I want to be 12 months from now? Mm-hmm. And I'll set a realistic target. I'll have 5,000 pounds in the bank or something like that. How am I going to do that? You know, you break it down. And sometimes it really helps because time does really pass you by. Yeah. If you don't, you know, as you get older and all that, it, it does speed up a little bit. So you just kind of got to take us yeah. because you could sit around procrastinating for two weeks at a time and you think, oh, fuck, now it's March. Oh, now it's April. Yeah. Jesus Christ, where's the last six weeks gone? And, yeah. it, and it does happen. So you just kind of, it's important. And, you know, yeah. doing podcasts or doing a, or starting up a record company, it kind of forces you to kind of reflect on your goals because there's always going to be moments in life where your passion is tested, where your, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? You know what the, your passion is tested and your will your determination is tested because yeah. there's going to be low moments there's going to be high moments of triumph where you sign someone up and it just fucking hits it's like the perfect storm it just works yeah. out but then you're like shit you know sean and i will have a really good podcast but then next you're only as good as your last podcast you're only as good as your yeah. last record so like, oh shit now what yeah. Who are we going to get on next? You know what I mean? Then suddenly you start becoming addicted to the strokes and it becomes a personal thing. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You have to take a step back and think this is just yeah. business. It's just business. I think it doesn't reflect who yeah, I am as yeah. an individual. It doesn't reflect my soul. I got into the strokes thing when in Corby, when there was the zombie hut and I was running a club night every week. And being the DJ of a club night where there's 500 people every week, you kind of get a bit of an ego. Um, I'd like to think that wasn't a total prick. Uh, but I got into the fact that people were having such fun and kind of like, not that it was the club and people were just having fun being together, but I kind of got into my head a little bit that, yeah, you know, my, my ego was being stroked. And then when that started to drop off a little bit and people lost interest probably because they've been there for two years every week and then they just want to go somewhere else, like then it started to less people coming up and everything like that. And then the strokes go away. And then you start looking at yourself and questioning who you are, where you're at. And it got real tough for a period of time. And like throughout the event side of my life, there's been a couple of periods where I really had to pick myself back up because either the stroke stopped or something really knocked me out off my perch. Uh, so we did a music festival at Rockham Speedway in 2018. Yeah, and yeah. We fucking, I didn't attend, but I... No, was... we, we, we made a really big music festival and probably bit off more than we can chew. It was really? Re- really, yeah. It was a really great day. I can't remember how many people were there, but we had like... But when, see, when I see the lineup now, sorry, Tom, yeah. but it looks like a proper music festival lineup. You've got yeah. bands at the bottom and then like, yeah. get gradually to the main, do you know what I mean? But that, that's what we wanted, you know, and I'm really proud of what we did and everybody that had that, like, there's a whole team of people involved with that, but I lost a considerable amount of money on that. And then after you do that and you lose money, it's like, 
do you want to still want to do this? Like your 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 commitment to your passion gets tested when your life kind of gets affected because now you're skinny. Now you're actually in debt because of something that you enjoy. Do you still enjoy it? You know, and like I really had to pick myself up from that and just be like, no, I made some wrong decisions. It's not sometimes you can blame the passion, you know, and, and the thing you love when really it's like I made some bad choices. Maybe we didn't promote as much, maybe we booked too much, you know. Uh, and maybe maybe we made it too big. Uh, but I'm glad we did it because we wanted to really put it off for one time thing like that. Yeah, but yeah, like that was another thing to like kick me off my perch. Totally. Bet, bet, but at least you tried and and yeah. technically failed in your mind. You failed, but imagine being the guy sat at home going to the pub and talking about, oh, I'm thinking about starting a record company, but yeah. never doing it. And every Friday it's Groundhog Day. It's the same yeah. thing over and over again. I mean, better to try than fail than to never try it all, right? I mean, I would totally 100% always prefer to be the guy that's going to go and fuck up and make mistakes yeah. and learn. Um, and that's here we are again, you know, here I am, probably set myself up to fail again. A couple of years after the Hootenanny and Corby, I'm now starting a record label. You know, if we have a, a podcast in two years, I'll probably tell you how this is fucked up and I lost some money. But, like, I, would, <laughs> I would always, rather than putting myself in this position where yeah. I'm chasing something that I really enjoy and care about. No, but you're doing, you're doing good things at the minute. You're promoting local bands, promoting mm-hmm. them as well. Often, Flash Peasants are shit hot. Can we just kiss yeah. their ass for a minute? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, they're really good. Their, their penmanship, for a start, is, is yeah. just off the chain. Both like, of them. Um, the beats as well. I know they don't, I know they probably do actually make their own beats, but some of the beats they get fucking out. I know yeah, Jake did the last one as well. It's really but... cool. Like, uh, with Flash Peasants, like, I've known Stephen and Sean for years, like, from a coder and even two bands before that. Yeah, Sean used to live behind, behind me when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> And like hip hop isn't my favorite genre. Like I do like it. Obviously, I mm-hmm. like the classics and everything like that. But like underground, Corby rap, uh, probably isn't my number one genre that I'm chasing. But like at the time of where we were setting up the label, I've put Flash Peasants on on some shows and stuff, and like their first EP I enjoyed. But like they sent me their new EP that they recorded that we're just in the process of putting out singles from. And like when I heard it, I was blown away by the lyrical concept. And I was trying to work out at the time when I listened to it was like, is it good because I know them and I know that they're penning themselves into the songs or can somebody who doesn't know them buy into the, what they're rapping about, you know? Um, yeah, like, yeah. I really, really enjoy like their the showmanship, their lyrics and all the beats that they get and everything. It was just like hip hop wasn't what I was looking to put out when I started the record label. But when they sent me that EP, I was like, "Fuck it, but I need to put this out." Hundred um, percent. Here we are, yeah. So it's been nice. This as well, and you got you got to have an ear for it as well because just because you don't like a particular genre, we can all identify what you know, mm-hmm. good music and not so good music. Yeah. You yeah. Know. Oh, we lost you, Sean. Oh. Got to maintain continuity. Hang on. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Hang on, I fucked up. Oh, have you fucked up the thing? Some about oh, my bit, arm went off. It's a bit of a segue, but um, it's almost relevant because you know mm. we're, we're trying to we're aspiring towards some goal, even if it's just mm. kind of vague in our heads. But we kind of got to be careful what we wish for because there is this kind of level that you'll reach where it kind of gets a bit crazy, and yeah. you're like, oh, I didn't expect this. My my dad was telling me he's a, you know, he was in the army and all that, and then he sort of started doing poetry to sort of help him with PTSD and all that, and he got a few bucks books published and all that but his first few books didn't really sell that well and his publisher said to me said look if this had katie price on the front cover it would sell a hundred thousand like that 
And it's the same with the music industry. It's like you've got some really good artists out there. But if you still, mm-hmm. and I don't mean to, this to disparage any, I'm just trying to think of mainstream yeah. stuff, but like Little Mix or something like that. I'm not saying they're bad, but you throw on a Little Mix album, it will sell immediately. Like, um, I can't remember who, who, what her name was, but she recently left the band, started a solo career. Yeah. Cassie Nelson. I don't know. I'll just shout on names out here. <laughs> no, I don't know who she is, but uh, yeah, she recently <laughs> left the band and off the back of Little Mix, her solo career, yeah. that first song came out. Fucking, you wouldn't believe it. What people that you work yeah. with would give to have those sales and then probably yeah. just... It was like when um, One Direction split up and did all that. No, I didn't give a shit, but like, they were selling records singly, singly, yeah. solo. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, well, Harry Styles is a massive artist now, you know? Um, he's, like, he's a crazy like, one for you. Oh, sorry. It's tough because it's not It's not to, like like you said, not to put down anything that any of these artists do, you know? I'm sure they can sing, I'm sure they can play instruments. But, like, when you're at a level of that, like, the music industry is like any industry, like the car industry, oil industry, anything. There's so much money involved that they just need a face they need a, a product uh, mm. almost, you know, to sell and the artists are the product. So they just need to say, okay, we've got product A, their face needs to be on billboard, we need to press uh, 50,000 records and it's just a big machine that keeps turning and turning and turning. And like, that's why I struggle with pop music because I almost feel like it becomes, the story almost becomes irrelevant. Um, it's the same shit every year with a different skin it's it's a brand isn't it it becomes it's almost like a brand my mum's really good friends with um, a woman named Debs and her daughter is Perry Edwards from Little Mix Mm -hmm. and just because she's the mum she's got like 50k followers on Instagram right (laughs) and then just out of curiosity I clicked on like her latest photo which was like from two or three years ago because she's not really active Mm -hmm. and uh, it was just a picture of her saying happy birthday to my daughter and there's comments even to this day saying like, oh, she's 28 now. She's, I'm like, you guys are fucking freaks. What the fuck? <laughs> you know this guy's mum alone. Yeah. yeah. But you know what I mean? Again, it's just that, that, you know, in the stratosphere, it's a whole level of fame that is just yeah. mind boggling. And you're lucky because no matter how big, you know, someone under you becomes, you're mm-hmm. safe behind that sort of producer yeah. uh, name yeah. because, you know, it's like, um, you know, everybody knows Dr. Dre, but I can't forget the I forget the guy's name that he works alongside. Oh, the bold white dude. Yeah, like he is oh, massive in, in in the re- in, yeah. in the music industry. I no one's name. no one's chasing him down the street. I mean, it's something kind of a, something Irvine, Irvine, something something like that. But again, he's probably one of the most respected and highest mm-hmm. acclaimed uh, producers, whatever. Yeah, you, out there. none of us would know about him unless you did your research or watch that documentary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was the first time I seen about him. Was that? Yeah, yeah. Documentary. I saw him straight straight out of Compton. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. watching watching the Defiant ones, uh, for those who haven't seen it, the Defiant ones is a documentary. I think I'm saying that's the right title, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. about uh, Dr. Dre and and his co-producer, or whatever that guy's name is, which is kind of funny. We're saying he is. Up I know, there. In the, he's in the upper. And that's echelons. a good thing. We don't can't remember his name. That's a good thing. Yeah, he's in the upper <laughs> echelons of that industry. Yeah, if he was to walk down the street, he'd not get bothered. Yeah, you know I'm saying whereas Dr. That's... Dre has to have like. Fucking, you that's know, the unfortunate thing about what we're doing though if we if we do it, somehow make it miraculously big like no yeah, but then no one gives a shit think about it like we could have a hundred thousand followers right that's a hundred thousand across the whole world right i could still walk yeah. at my door and be like all right yeah you know yeah true we'll get bobs. We'll we, get ain't, bobs, but... we ain't the fucking beatles we'll never you know i mean the beatles michael jackson <laughs> elvis presley little mix you know zane 
That's just a, another <laughs> level. Zane from uh, um... the Beatles, Elvis Presley, Michael Jackson, Little Mix, Zane. Yeah, <laughs> Zane. No, Zane. All from, of the greats from One Direction. Greats. One Direction. Yeah, I know. You had to end it with Zane. Right, I haven't done podcasts in three weeks. All right, I'm a bit rusty. I apologize. <laughs> no, we're doing well. You just have to end it with Zane. It's funny. It's funny. Zane from from One Direction. Great artist. Yeah. Great artist. I meant, so, no, I, meant, I meant to say Harry Styles. My bad. Classic I tracks also, like. Um... I always end up in the position where like. <laughs> I and don't end it at times. Sorry, there's a Steve Sorry. Hughes joke. There's a, a comedian, Aussie uh, comedian called Steve Hughes, and he was on the Apollo, and he talks about all the different metals he's into. He's like, yeah, I'm into thrash metal, heavy metal, death metal, and uh, Enya. And he goes, uh, <laughs> after after listening to eight hours of uh, of Slayer, you need something to mellow you out. Yeah. <laughs> someone, someone says, I fucking hate Enya. He goes, how can you hate Enya, Mike? It's, sil- it's silence colored in. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I don't know. Honestly. But um I'll, another thing I'm curious about, you know, when you hear about like these again, these mega not even pop stars, but just mega musicians, you know, you hear about the people that attend an eighty thousand, you know, ten thousand, mm-hmm. and you think and I look at how much the tickets sell for, and I'm thinking, wow. That must be making so much money. But then you think about the the, the expenditures, the the overheads. Mm-hmm. What are the overheads like? I mean, like you said, yeah. your experience with Rockingham. Yeah, it? like uh, everyone's got to take a cut, you know. Like what I don't know right now is like stadium tours, like why they've got so expensive. Like I just put Chili Peppers tickets this week and that's a hundred quid ticket now to go to the London arena to watch a band. And a hundred quits like i remember when i first started going to music festivals another 20 quid and you would download for four days you know but how have we got to the point like i haven't seen i haven't seen inflation get that bad you know like our loaves of bread aren't a tenner yet so how is how is the stadium tour now costing what it would cost to go see a festival like is it know, because, just milking it, is it, is, well is it because of things like Spotify and the artists aren't getting as much anymore. So the way they make their profit is from being on the road. Or hasn't hasn't touring always been the big way to make money for bands? Yeah. Merch, isn't it? Selling merch. Yeah, I, I honestly don't know. Like to be honest with you, because I don't work at, at that size of gigs. You know, I, I do shitty little gigs. Because um, Deftones but, are like fifty, and they still tour yeah. to this day. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's just like a loyalty thing, or is that just because they're broke to shut up? <laughs> I don't know, like, like I love Hans Zimmer and like his stuff. And yeah, like yeah. the cheapest ticket I could get was like two hundred euros here in Hamburg. But like, I mentioned that to my bird, my girlfriend, and she was like, "Yeah, but like, but she was like, how many people are in that orchestra though? You know?" And I was like, "Well, True. maybe that." How, how much is that cello player getting paid? You know what I'm saying? I, I'd, <laughs> yeah. I'd pay two hundred pounds to go see Michael Giacchino. I think that's how you pronounce his name a conductor yeah. who does all the movies did Lost and shit like yeah. I'd pay big money to go see him because like when, how often do you go see a fucking composer yeah. and orchestra band you know what I mean I mean if you're that into it you pay the money I, am. It's, I don't it's know if you're getting year. ripped it's off it's next year I've got, I got really got to save and like bite the bullet I think because I really yeah. want to go see Hans Zimmer like, experience in it I don't know if you'd like Interstellar but like I love it I love, that is I love yeah. Hans Zimmer to concentration that album yeah like if i need to work i just put on the interstellar soundtrack 
I'm, and we'll go at it. I'm very similar because uh, I, I write. I've got a book coming out next month mm. and, you know, I'd listen to a lot of Inception soundtrack. The dream is collapsing yeah. and dream within a dream. It really got, especially when I was going for walks and looking for a bit yeah. of inspiration. And it just fucking gets you going. But Interstellar is great. I saw it in the cinema. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful film. I tried watching yeah. Tenet, but I couldn't hear what the fuck they were saying. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I watched Tenet once. Yeah, I watched Tenet once and I need to watch it again. Like, I, I didn't get it. It was too out there uh, for me I, like yeah. my, my mate watched it and said he totally got it I was just like well good for you I got it on DVD uh, and watched it in reverse yeah. it made more sense yeah <laughs> <laughs> I was going yeah. to say that isn't it a film just it's going back in time the whole time while they're going forward yeah isn't that much it's about really, really, yeah, it's, really yeah, don't get me started on it mate fucking yeah that's <laughs> apparently right the reason why the, the sound mix and so fucked is because um, a lot of that post-production was done during the pandemic so they had to do it mm. in homes so I heard it was a, a, a conscious decision by Christopher Nolan. Yeah, dude, like no one cares about dialogue. Well, it is when you're talking about fucking physics, yeah. mate. You know what I mean? <laughs> to your average what? viewer. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes he makes yeah. really good decisions. Sometimes he makes fucking stupid well, decisions like that. Originally, like um, he did Bane's voice differently to the point where it was incomprehensible. And the producers at Warner Brothers, the executive producers, like you need to kind of redub that voice. You, you no need to make him sound like a girl yeah you need to make him sound like the mr kipling man because we don't know what the fuck he's saying was that tom hardy's voice he I think so, on, yeah yeah because yeah, he was imitating this um gypsy boxer i can't mm. remember the guy's name but he he took inspiration from that guy right because he sounded very much like that and yeah. tom hardy was doing an interview quite recently he was with uh andrew uh circus because they're both in the film venom yeah, yeah, carnage yeah. and they were i think i think the youtube channel is called wired and they're sitting side by side discussing it and they were talking about Bing, how he got the voice. And they asked questions and they ripped the Google questions off. That was it. That was it. That's quite an interesting series. I recommend that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See a lot of movie stars on that one. I can't remember what you watched. Jonah Hills, I think. Mm-hmm. It's a Hot Wings one, though. What's the one with the Hot Wings? Oh, Hot Wings, yeah. Hot First one. We Feast. Hot Wings. That is Hot yeah, Wings. Yeah. Like, I would not be able to answer any questions throughout that. You give me my first Hot Wing. Do you reckon that's legit, think... though? Do you reckon they cut it? And... No, well, yeah, of course, they have to edit it down. I mean, here's the thing for I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to spices. You know, so um, yeah. there's a TV show on Netflix that came out early in the year called um, We Are the Champions. And it basically covered really obscure uh, championships all around the world. Uh, episode one was quite good because it was in Gloucestershire. It was um, cheese rolling. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, down the hill. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it is fucking brutal. Right, it's barbaric it's bar because they got they use a drone to film it and you see the hair and it's like oh that doesn't look too it's, bad it's it goes got, up. Mate, i used to see remember the tv show rootube fucking... yeah 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 and they used to show like the grainy fucking 2040p footage of them fucking face punting and chasing yeah. the big roll oh, of the man. cheese well, what was even the prize just the cheese yeah the cheese you get that cheese. Yeah. <laughs> fucking in an enya soundtrack <laughs> <laughs> So um, episode two was um, a um, chili eating contest uh, somewhere in America. And they explained, like, they measure the spices in what's known as Scoville units. And you would have seen mm-hmm. this on First We Feast. So a jalapeno is 5,000 Scoville mm-hmm. units. Uh, and then the, but this TV show goes anything up to 2,000. I think the extra hot sauce at Nando's is at 25,000. And yeah. I'm not going to blow my own trumpet, but I'm really good with spice. I mean, I can eat a vendolier, not yeah. even break a sweat. I'd love to go on that show. Not to go on that show, but I'd love to go through the gauntlet of those 10 spices and see where I break. But I'm okay to a certain point, though. Like, Nando is actually hot. Like, he's fine. But, like, when you start bringing these 
bad boy weird name chili sauces that have like warnings on them and shit like that. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's no. I cannot handle that. Like, I remember yeah. being I'll be able once. to enjoy it, you know? Yeah, well, I maybe for a challenge or once, something. And there was just like chili sauce in a cage. And I was like, <laughs> how hot how hot is that actually? They're like, well you need to dilute that. It's like why are you key. buying sauce that you need to dilute like with one drop for the entire meal? Like, yeah, don't like, they use fucking arsenic in some chili shit? <laughs> Isn't that I mean, there was, ep- was an episode of The Simpsons that covered it, wasn't it? Mm. Where like, Homer was just, just couldn't be broken. And then this guy comes out with this particular chili that sends him on a hallucination. It was one of the best episodes they've done. Fuck, <laughs> <laughs> I watched The Simpsons in years. He, he keeps going in and out. Like, the sun keeps coming out when he steps in and it goes out. And he keeps going in and eventually breaks. It's great. Episode. I remember I remember Brett Hackett let me season one of The Simpsons and my brother defaced the DVD cover. He never let me anything again after that. Yeah, well... Just, I haven't watched sorry, any bro. of the recent Simpsons. Like, that's my problem. Like at a certain point when they started putting too many celebrity guests in there and stuff. Remember, it used to be on Channel Four. No. Yeah, is it, it probably still is on Channel Four, but that's when I stopped watching it. Like season ten, when I was like <laughs> fifteen, coming home from school, you just switch that on and eat the dinner. The golden age of the Simpsons was uh, up until nineteen ninety to nineteen ninety eight. They always say that was the best, and then after that, all the best writers left. And they've done. They've gone on to do other things like Enchanted, F is for Family, Futurama, you name it. So what's that um, show on Netflix? Is that Enchanted? Enchanted. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think that's. The I like. I like that. It. Yeah, pretty funny, but it's not yeah. memorable. No. Yeah. It's also like I tell my grandkids about. But, yeah, sorry there. <laughs> I definitely tell them about um, fucking season ten, episode eight. I think. Make love, not Warcraft. It's South Park. I tell my grandkids oh, about that episode, uh, and I make sure they tell their friends at school. Yeah. Fucking, it's, it's another one that I don't watch new episodes. That I actually love South Park, and every time I do see it, it's great. But yeah, yeah. I just struggle uh, to get excited about sitting down and watching that unless I'm really like just put in front of it. Where I get like, okay, yeah, I'm the same. Uh, I'm the same. Yeah. I love South Park, but I'm I do that with everything. I, I didn't watch Stranger Things all the way through until like five years after it came out. I don't even know if it's been out that long, but... Have you seen Squid Games? I, I just finished that this weekend. Yeah, I finished it today. Yeah. Fucking yeah, yeah, what yeah. a great show that was. That dude good. is a great actor. The guy who plays the main character, G. Yonor, he's great. And fucking I, great I actor. thought that was Hans from uh, from Fast and Furious. I had to look it up. It wasn't... I, 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 I can remember, but like, it's one of the writers... I saw a meme or something. It's one of the writers acting in the show. The guy who wrote it. I don't. Well, I don't know much about that, but I, I got some interesting trivia for you that I stumbled upon because me being the way I am, I just like to Google shit I like. And um, the phone number that was on the back of the card yeah. was a real number, and like I yeah. got like four thousand calls wanting to play Squid <laughs> yeah. Games. And um, the, so one of the actors, I can't remember who it was, but one of the actors had something like four. Speaking of strokes, four hundred thousand followers on his social media, and then by the time that within a week, it'd gone up to like twelve million. Wow. You know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, it's it's been it's number one or was number one in over ninety countries. Yeah, I mean that's fucking hell. They hit the. Big... I got I got I got a fact about it, and the guy that wrote it at a certain point, he was so broke. He wrote it like ten years ago. He was so broke that he had to stop writing because he had to sell his laptop. Mm. And now, yeah. ten years later, he's got like the Netflix number one TV show. Yeah, and the thing um, is, it's kind of relevant to our situation in the sense that. You know, it wasn't his time back in 2009. Yeah. So we just kept working on it. And then he had his ups and downs. He based it on his inspirations of being poor, you know, mm-hmm. working class, the class dividing South Korea. 
And then, you know, Netflix comes along, becomes one of the biggest streaming services in the world and decide, oh, we want to try and break the Asian market. And it was just it, the stars aligned for him and the stars aligned oh, yeah. for everybody. You just got to keep working. And, you know, those those low points are the origin stories for all of us. And it's important. I fully believe that like, if you are consistent and you don't give up and you keep working in small steps, something will come good for you. Like, mm-hmm. You have to really be shit out of luck or fucking something in the universe really hates you. Mm-hmm. And it's taken a massive crap on you that if you're really consistent and turn up very often, yeah. there's something mm-hmm. won't happen to you, you know? Um, and I really hope that if somebody does watch this and they've been shot on their entire life, um, like I'm really sorry because I, I, I do believe like maybe I'm privileged but I do believe that if you turn up then good things will happen at some point yeah maybe not tomorrow or something but you will have a time to shine and like you said with the rap music sometimes the, 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 the thing you least expect is what ends up taking you on that journey you know Stephen yeah. King I, I'm sure you're familiar with some of Stephen King's yeah. works but um, <laughs> his first book that made got him in the mainstream was Carrie and he mm-hmm. tried writing it and chucked it in the bin and his wife comes along read it and says, you need to finish this. And he says, I don't really know anything. Cause it's also about a woman having a menstrual cycle linked to mm-hmm. psychic powers. Like I don't know anything about high school girls. And his wife Tabitha is like, um, I went to school with girls. I'll help you. Yeah. Next yeah. thing you know, it becomes his breakout novel. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, he yeah. was living in a trailer. And then about a year later, he completely forgets about the book and his agent calls him up and says, Oh, the international paperback rights have just sold um uh you've just earned four hundred thousand dollars and he's living in a trailer yeah it's or some of these stories of people like people who are really successful now like they freak me out a little bit because it's like do i have to go that low before i can come back up like there's the one about sylvester salone where he had to sell his dog mm-hmm. you had that one like yeah, yeah. it's just like fuck man like imagine being in that position where yeah. like you're having to sell your dog you had to start on a porno so, yeah, yeah, I know. Cool. And so here's a funny story about the porno, right? So it came out in like the nine, 1970, I think it came out in. And I think it was called Pat. I've never watched it, right? Uh, <laughs> swear to God. And um, so basically he stars in this in this porno. And um, sorry, my girlfriend's just coming. I'm just losing my thread of thought talk about pornos and she's giving me a weird look. <laughs> right, so, no, right, so. Um, Star Wars. So, so yeah, this is like yeah. five years before Rocky came out. Right, mm-hmm. and he gets paid two hundred dollars. He said that basically either he mugs someone or he's going to get two hundred dollars mm-hmm. to do this, you know. And then once Rocky comes out a couple of years later, they try rebranding that porno with the yeah, Italian stallion, <laughs> trying to cash in <laughs> on, that, on that. You know what I mean? So, oh, sometimes you got, yeah. like I said, he had to sell his dog, and the things yeah. that you have to do. He ended up buying that dog back, though. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Man, I'd never sell my dog, even if I was homeless. Fuck yeah, that. Good for you, mate. But that, that's what I mean. You know, desperate times and all that. So. It's, I do love those rag to riches story. You know, same thing with yeah. J.K. Rowling. Um, she got rejected left, right, and center. But then um, it wasn't until one of the publisher's nieces uh, mm-hmm. saw a little bit of it and nudged the, her uncle saying, I want more. And that's how she got, that's how Philosopher's Stone got published. Yeah, uh, I, I think like, like you're into writing and stuff like that. Like these people that write stone scripts and stuff like that. It is about timing. Like there will be, maybe you've written a story that isn't really a, a thing that people are making right now, but in 10 years, if it becomes people are making those sort of stories or something like that, somebody might pick your 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 work up, want to turn it into a film or something, you know, like that's really some, some books and stuff that 
probably the writer never thought that it would get turned into film or something. Mm. Mm-hmm. I started. Yeah. I started writing a zombie novel in school called Dead High, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden the fucking movies novels got saturated with zombie shit, and I was just like, good. I was like, no, but I'm still got it on the sidelines. Still there. Yeah. Still a fucking dope story. I just you know, you're going for the right time, isn't you? You know, you got to take yeah. risks for sure. I mean, I'm not going to elaborate on this too much because I will be talking about this in a later uh, in a future podcast. But mm-hmm. um, you know, the novel I wrote that only came about because. I quit my office job and moved to Bordeaux with five grand in my account. And yeah. I be- living as a foreigner in this strange city led to this character of a war veteran trying to adapt to this uh, civilian lifestyle that, you know, I me, mean? it was a fucking PTSD and struggling and all that. And it all ca- that would never have happened if I just said, fuck this job. I could have easily settled, made the conservative choice and said, well, I'm going to stick to this desk job mm-hmm. uh, and be miserable for the rest of my life. But then I was like, no, fuck that. And I've never looked back since. All right, sure, I didn't climb the corporate ladder. Yeah. Instead, of, you, you can't put a price on your ambitions. You can't, you, you can't sell on that because yeah. you just look back with regret. We all end up in the same place. We made this joke before, but one way or another, you're just an old man shitting in a bed. So make the most of all the years in between that. It's very true. It's very true. Like, that's one thing that freaks me out. It's like, how do I live... Um, because I, I, I actually want to enjoy life on the model as well. Like, it, it's like, it's one thing that you'll all end up dying in a bed. But like, if I go gun ho I'm going to live like two years because I can't handle all my drugs and I can't handle my alcohol. And I'll probably die in a year or something like that. I'll jump off a bridge or something, you know. So it's like, how do I have as much fun as I can today, but also make sure that I'm going to be able to, you know, see, see, see it when I'm older as well. Yeah. Um, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. And, and not settling in a life of complacency where, again, sitting behind yeah. that desk and it's the mm-hmm. same day every day, the job that you do, you know, it's, ner- you know, it's nerve wracking, it's exciting, mm-hmm. but what a great life to think. Yeah. I, I literally am in control of my destiny. You don't know yeah. it's going to go one way or the other. So and those people 10 years ago who used to fucking have like captions on their face, like live fast, die, they're probably dead now. So it's all good. <laughs> You know I mean? People with the fringe yeah, are living my best life. Well, you know, like, my favorite hairdo. I'm worried about making them when you're older, but like life decides from you know, That's the cool thing. Exactly, about yeah. <laughs> you, can't, you, can't, you can't choose when to. Yeah. something's going to be big. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like word of mouth, isn't it? It's just got to travel like naturally through the, the airwaves. And that's, I don't fucking know what I'm talking about. I'm hiding. <laughs> <laughs> this is a bit of a segue, but I was watching a, a YouTube series called Fascinating Horrors. And what's good about it is like some of them are only five to 10 minutes long. And the guy just covers disasters. You talk about the Smiler incident in 2015. I know. But like disasters as in like mm-hmm. natural, like uh, hurricanes and shit. No, nah, mostly human, human error. Oh, okay. Okay. So the Smiler was a roller coaster in Open Towers. I fucking hate roller coasters. Oh yeah. Holy shit. I used to date a girl. That was the most. Remember that story? Oh, sorry, then. Carry on. No, I, I used to have a girlfriend back in, back around that time of the incident. Uh, you've never met someone more anxious. Like when ISIS shot up that beach in Tunisia, her first response was, will I be safe on Weymouth Beach? I was like, yeah. Yeah, fucking, they're <laughs> going to travel here in submarines. And yeah, fucking... they're just going to sh- yeah. wash up like Terminator fucking Dark Fate. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, you've never met someone more nervous, more anxious about fucking anything. But yes, you go on any roller coaster, whereas I was the complete opposite. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm not going oh, yeah, on no, the roller, fuck coaster. roller coasters. So the My brother's the opposite to me. He's like, what? 
I cannot yeah. do roller coasters because man. Fuck that we're too shit. we're too smart. That's our problem. We we just know that there are people less smart than us responsible for our safety. Even the go karts, man. Oh, no, I'm joking. I love the go. I can do the I can do the um the the dodgems. No, I, I can do the the little little cable carts that go yeah. that take you like around the skiing ones. Yeah, yeah. Because I you know <laughs> I'm a big fan of uh, 007 Nightfire. There was a there was a level called yeah. Skyrail. I'm not scared of heights. I can do that sort of shit. Just. <laughs> Just like you're putting your faith in a mechanical thing that's going. Right. Well, let me fuck that. Let me tell the story. The smiler just, you know, what I mean, so there was like this thing was broke records because it was so insane the way it was built, and um, they wanted to introduce a fifth cart to kind of ease capacity, and the engineers had an issue of it and fixed it, but then someone else for, didn't even realize there was a fifth cart still out on there, the dummy cart. So they send the cart out. It stops midpoint because the computer saying. Uh, the current rail that this is going to go down is occupied and the, 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 the employee overrode it saying, nah, nah, I can't see anything. Next thing you know, you can see the CCTV shit footage of the cart just going like that. You can't hear the sounds on the fly. It doesn't even look that, that fast, but two people lost their, lost a leg yeah. because mm-hmm. of it. I mean, they got 3 million pounds out of it. So, you know, if, if you know yeah, they probably got fucking like the animatronic, animatronic legs. Yeah. Or some oh, shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? I didn't know that's what went down. You know, I just knew that some people. It took something like five hours to get them out of there because you know, yeah. because they had to make a makeshift um, scaffolding just to get them out. Five hours or something like five to seven hours. Uh, so that was that was uh, the Smiler incident. I mean, there's some other ones you want to hear. Do you want to hear some yeah. more? Yeah. All right. So there was. Um, I can't remember the name of the the air transportation back in the day. Like you know, like the the Hindenburg, those big. I don't know what you call them. He, just call them helium balloons. Air air mm-hmm. carriers, I think they're called. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fucking blips, blips. Some, yeah, we'll just call them blips. Let's just call them blips, right? So there was one um, in the UK in 1930 called the R101, and it was, was state-funded. And th- there was this one guy who was sort of behind it called um, Lord Christopher Thomas, I think. Vardqua. <laughs> and he was like, making sure the engineers rushed this got it because there was this big international conference coming up and he wanted to fly in this thing all the way to india and back just to like you know what i mean gloat how long that. would that have took him in one of those fuck knows days <laughs> 80 but, days and 80 nights but back then, <laughs> back then like 40 <laughs> days yeah 40, 80 days around the world <laughs> and um back back then people thought that no one believed in airplanes even back then they're like nah it's, it's going to be these little fucking blimps that get us around the world it's going to take us to the future and um this guy was pushing these engineers saying, you need to get this thing ready. And they were trying to warn them because they were using all this experimental technology that they'd never done before. And you're dealing with fucking, what's it, hydrogen, helium, something very flammable that could explode at any minute. And they did all these test flights, were rushed. Next thing you know, right, they realized they had to keep their baggage to an absolute minimum. So all the staff and all the passengers getting on were only allowed to bring one pair of clothes in paper. This fucking Lord... Uh, Thomas, yeah, right. <laughs> He's bringing on a fucking rug, uh, boxes of champagne and all that, and they're all drinking all that. Gets over the English Channel and all that, and it fucking nose dives and kills nearly everyone. <laughs> Jeez, that's fair. That's a terrible disaster. Oh yeah, and during one of the test flights, uh, apparently the blimp nodded to the king, and everyone's like, "That's amazing." It's because the people inside were fucking struggling to keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it, it, it nodded to the king. <laughs> How stupid were people back then to think that was safe? I know. Right, let's go with a big fucking air balloon. Yeah, why not? But not, well, not, not in the basket, in the balloon itself. We'll go in that bit. That's safe. I know. 
I know. Fucking idiot. They even Can have we just Mark- talk about the audacity of Ian Huntley? No, 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 no not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. So uh, they had lighters on these on these blimps. They were lighters. They had like a little little uh, um, asbestos room, you know, where they had lighters chained to it, so no one could walk off of the lighters. I'm thinking you had a smoking area in a fucking yeah. ball full of hydrogen, yeah, helium, helium, whatever. So there you go. Well, anyway, I thought the thing that. is, is that it only went wrong for a few people. Like that's this, this the beauty of. Uh... It, that's it. If we if probably go, chuck some bags in there and didn't have a problem. Exactly. If we could go back in time and make sure that those disasters didn't happen, 9-11 wouldn't happen because you try taking down those buildings of a blimp. It ain't happening, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Just see that's it slowly coming. <laughs> <laughs> There's a blimp coming. <laughs> Get down the stairs. You can't commit acts of terrorism with a blimp. It just ain't happening. No, it's not melting steel beams, not a chance. <laughs> Fucking we found a passport and a lighter <laughs> <laughs> and we found 50 crates of champagne it was a lord farquhar <laughs> we found a rug <laughs> anyway sorry man we went on a fucking tangent there sorry that's good <laughs> <laughs> is there any more horrors that we've got um oh there was that one i mentioned before we start recording about that whole um concert in 1979 uh, in america i can't remember where it was exactly but it was the who and um you know from what i remember people getting crushed because they were all there was these two doors that were open but they were still doing a sound test inside and the people at the back of the mob thought that that meant the concept was beginning so they were pushing forward and it was just fucking crushing people that's probably one of my fears because i'm a little bit claustrophobic so one oh, of yeah. my fears you talk about the incident of the who or um hillsborough shit like mm-hmm. that that just that's what gets me i'm just like, that, being trapped trapped in an coffin with a clown well think about yeah because in my head when i was younger when i was reading about these stories or hearing about them i was thinking how can people kill people in that context but then i'm thinking well you it accumulates doesn't it it becomes exponential mm-hmm. i mean you think what it's like at school. Just... You, you think about it's like at lodgy just all those kids trying to get through those fucking corridors between lessons <laughs> people used to throw bricks in the yard showing heads in that no one give a shit heads a big fat brick a big snow ice thing hit me cracking the head once and I uh, stood there for about 10 seconds those kids were fucking, they were the offsprings of like blimp engineers they were just oh, negligent. people just finish their cans <laughs> and just lob it halfway across the yard like fucking try to wipe someone out no one give a shit what the fuck was wrong with you yeah. I'm going back to the asbestos room to have a smoke fuck this <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to um, and I'm trying to think of one other one that I thought of. Oh, it wasn't really a disaster per se. I mean, it was a disaster, but not really people. No one died directly. It was in 1986. It was the balloon fest in Iowa. And they were trying to set a world record of most balloon helium balloons set up in the air. And there was something like 1.2 million balloons. They're trying to do 2 million, but the storm was coming. So they're like, right, quick, fucking hurry up, get these balloons blowing. <laughs> and it was part of some publicity stunt for the city. And uh, because of the storms that came, the balloons... Uh, didn't go all the way up they eventually just dropped and two fishermen had gone missing in the ocean and they couldn't find the search party couldn't find them because there's just fucking balloons everywhere <laughs> they just look like heads you know what, I mean? what the phoenix lights were all them balloons i don't know it <laughs> phoenix lights what, the what, what like balloons blimps like just helium balloons yeah helium balloons that you bought oh, up high right 1.6 million yeah 1.6 million and it was all great and all that and then obviously because traffic accidents two fishermen dying because they couldn't be found by the search party um eventually uh because of the lawsuits it, it paled in comparison compared to the amount of money they made for that stunt 
So if you ever think about, you know, boosting your image, yeah. don't go with balloons. <laughs> to fishermen wash up ashore in helium balloons. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, good. Any news is good news, isn't it? That's what, well, yeah. Any publicity, publicity is good publicity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm, the, I'm the balloon guy. I'm trying to think of other yeah. stupid publicity stunts going on. Oh, and one other one before, right? One other one was Travis the Chimp. I know a little bit about this because I've, I've, I've done some research. I don't know one. why I'm laughing because it's horrific. But... All right. So Travis the Chimp, he was a chimpanzee in, oh, I can't remember. It's those parts of America where you can keep exotic pets, you know, I mean, like Joe mm. Exotic kind of area. And uh, they had this chimp since like the mid 90s. And chimpanzees were kind of the all the rave at the time, like in the 80s and that, like Michael Jackson had bubbles and this, that and the other. So, but what people don't realize about chimpanzees is that once they hit the age of uh, sexual maturity, they become mm-hmm. very, very aggressive and they're very strong, you know, like four or five times yeah. stronger than your average man. And um, so this is 2009 and the woman is struggling with Travis because he's just out of control and he's humongous. He's like 200 pounds at this point. He's overweight. So she calls her mate over, Carla Nash, her name was, to come help out. But because she changed her hairstyle, I think this sent the monkey no pun intended, fucking bananas, right? And she had this little Tickle Me Elmo toy and the monkey just attacked her, ripped her hands off, ripped her eyes out, ripped her, it was crazy. And you can, even to this day, you can go on YouTube and listen to the 911 call that this woman makes and you can hear the monkey in the background and the guy, the operator doesn't even sound like, he thinks it's a prank call. He's like, oh, you, your chimpanzee's killing your friend. <laughs> like, send the police, go ahead. So eventually the cops show up, shoot the monkey and he dies. And this woman gets like one of the first ever face transplants ever done. Like it's next level. Oh. She looks, she still looks fucked, but she's got a face. So that's all right. Yeah, man, I've seen the pictures, man. It's, all, it's horrible. Bro. Yeah, so the, the it's photo like two of her, holes where her eyes should be. She, she went on Oprah and she just mm-hmm. looked like a fucking like, it's, you know, <laughs> it's not what she did it's, uh, she, she just I can't describe what this woman's face looked like it looked like um, you know when you play um, cyberpunk and the textures haven't rendered yet <laughs> it's like when you're a kid and playing a play-doh punch yeah. it yeah. <laughs> she looked like punched play-doh um, like cyberpunk yet. yeah well anyway uh, this, this poor woman this, poor, this will be our last podcast now but um, <laughs> This poor woman, um, yeah, was terrifically. And then it got me wanting to watch Louis Theroux again. So I started watching Louis Theroux on Exotic Pets. That's on BBC iPlayer. Mm-hmm. Check that out. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. They do a bit more about chimpanzees. Just went down a little chimpanzee rabbit hole over the weekend. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Fair one. <laughs> I should do. And that's it for um for uh, uh fascinating. Except for the save room. Well, there's only thing we want to add because we've got an hour, mate. So, uh, let's talk about the audacity of Ian. Nah, nah, Nah. not not today. Is that too much? No, not yet. Not yet. We've already, we already already, already laughed. We already, yeah, we already laughed at a woman. Well, not not intentionally. Uh, What's your favorite movie, mate? Oh, um, Evil Dead 2. Evil Evil Dead Dead 2. 2. Uh, Fuck it out. Uh, that's my all-time favorite movie because it's better than the first one, even though they're pretty much the same film. Um, and I love uh, horror films at that time, but specifically that one. The first mm-hmm. one's like watching the original Dawn of the Dead now, and it's like cool. Well, like the first one, they made on a such a low budget, and then they got different yeah. budgets, so they decided to make it again and add some additional scenes. And then like the third one. 
it's just fucking batshit crazy. Like, it's like, army the, of the second, Yeah, like the second one is uh, easier to follow because it's just in the cabin, all the evil's happening. But the third yeah. one, like when he gets sent back in time and he's got his yeah, it gets a bit mad, doesn't it? Yeah. But yeah, I love that, like Sam Raimi and like all like uh, horrors like that, so like Brain Dead, uh, Bad Taste. And all of these kind of horror films are kind of my shit. There's a, another TV show on Netflix called The Films That Made Us, and they've recently done mm. season three with all that. I haven't watched any of them yet, but it, it, the, the quality of the show is amazing because they've done previously, they've done films like Forrest Gump, Back to the Future, and it's really fascinating stories hearing about kind of like what we were talking about. You've got some uh, guy, you know, who's on his ass just trying to get a script to sell, and the next thing you know, it gets picked up by such and such a person that becomes like an Oscar winner or becomes a cultural phenomenon. And, and they've done a bunch of uh, horror f- movies. They've done Midnight of Elm Street, Halloween. Uh, I can't remember the other ones, but I'm going to, I recommend you check it out if you get a chance. Yeah, yeah, it's on yeah. Netflix. And, um, but yeah, Sam Raimi, I'm a big fan of him. Actually. I do like his work. It's funny seeing how, cause it was him and Bruce Campbell just started out. They kind of quit college, didn't yeah. they? And just start wearing businesses, trying to get funding for their yeah. movie. They did like a short movie that eventually became evil dead. Yeah. And it became a, very popular yeah, film. like uh, Bruce if you like books Bruce Campbell's got a really good book called A Chins Could Kill Confessions of a B Movie Actor um, and I love that book because I honestly think Bruce Campbell's performance in Evil Dead films like they're great they're so over the top and cheesy at times but he's just a funny guy as well isn't he because yeah. you know, I, I was going through the, the old Spider-Man movies got put on Netflix yeah. so I was checking them out and, yeah. and I, I've come to appreciate Sam Raimi's kind of uh, horror roots sneaking their way into these essentially kids movies at the time because this is before the marvel universe you oh, watch yeah. um green goblin man Fuck. it's fine and yeah those scenes and, and spider-man 2 with doc ock that scene when he's having surgery mm-hmm. and yeah. those arms are just it's like that is pure yeah. fucking evil dead right there yeah, yeah. have you ever those seen arms were real you know yeah like, that's what's yeah. cool about that like they're all like actually insane. on set yeah are you excited for the next movie because obviously in the trailer they had doc ock in it yeah, Hello, Ethan. <laughs> should be okay. Like, uh, Spider Man. Hello, Ian. Spider Man's okay. Sorry, carry on. Spider Man's all right, but I, I'm more, I struggle to keep up with so many superheroes. Yeah, no, I get stuff. you. I get but you. Batman's my thing. Cool. Oh, have you seen, oh, the man, have you seen the new trailer? I've seen the new Looks trailer now. Fucking yeah, badass. What are your thoughts? So, so is it but the Riddler? I, I am not getting fucked yeah. up by badass looking trailers anymore. I I refuse to fucking fall for it. I refuse. <laughs> so I watched like, Halloween Kills yesterday and I was fucking disappointed. Oh, no. That's all I was say. But like with this Batman film, I've read that it's more like a horror than like a superhero film. And it's like pretty brutal. Like Robert Pattinson somehow comes across as a badass and he's going to shake off all of the Twilight Sparkle and everything like that and actually be like a convincing Batman. Because like when he first announced as Batman... Yeah, I, I think saying, everyone had the same... Like, yeah, like, well, oh really ooh. but it sounds like it's going to be good and then like the effects on Colin Farrell as Penguin oh yeah it's like mad uh, I reckon he'll do better than Danny DeVito to be honest yeah yeah <laughs> who's playing the Penguin there's, there's Batman yeah, Colin Farrell is playing the Penguin but he looks like nothing like him like he looks like a fat mm. overweight 50 year old dude looks like uh, a gangster from the Goodfellas yeah that's and, the way you portray um, talk Look, a Bronco sleeps with the fishes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks good. Yeah. Oh, there's one other thing yeah, I was going to say. Oh, yeah. What, do you like the film uh, um, Darkman? I've never seen Darkman. That's a Sam Raimi film as well. 
yeah. Liam Neeson's That's like it, it came out and like this is kind of what got him the gig with Spider-Man I think because mm-hmm. it was kind of a I don't know if it was based on a comic or not I'm sure it was but uh, Liam Neeson's in it and he plays this uh, scientist that ends up in a bit of an accident becomes like this superhero it's kind of a body horror at the same time of being a superhero movie and this is one scene where he can't control his tempo and he's at a carnival and he's trying to win this his girlfriend the pink elephant uh, he throws the ball and the guy's like trying to rip him off and all that and he ends up flipping out on the carnival dude and gets the pink elephant gives it to the girl and the girl's like I don't want it he's like take the fucking pink elephant <laughs> just that one scene is just hilarious Liam uh, Neeson losing his shit no I've never seen that one yeah I recommend that one too anyway I'm gonna have to get going in a minute because I've yes. got a letter saying do you want a takeaway and then underneath and that the answer says, is yeah. and underneath that yeah. we, we have your mother <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and thanks a lot. You know, again, we haven't been we haven't been doing this for like three weeks, so uh, I was a bit nervous coming into this. I was like, oh, yeah, shit. Our, our last video was a fucking GTA video we made like fucking three months yeah. ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Like, let me know when you plan to put out. You know, when I'll put it tomorrow. out tomorrow. I won't be yeah. able to get out tomorrow, dude. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll try. I'll try. I'll try my best. Uh, oh, all right. Yeah. If, if yeah, not, if not tomorrow, then, yeah. If not tomorrow, next Monday. Yeah, it's all good, man.